70, and I don't want you to read it while I'm preaching the whole time, but you're welcome to look at it. I've opened it here, and some of those things really aren't going to happen until Christ physically comes back. And we've read this in Zechariah two weeks ago, until Jesus comes back. By the way, the book of Zechariah is full of prophecies, especially the, the, the tribulation and, and the millennial kingdom. But Christ is going to come back and he is going to obviously defeat the enemies. You know, Zechariah talks about the, the flesh melting off the body. So when Christ comes and renders his word, you know, he'll defeat the nations by the word. It, it, that's, it talks about how devastating that word. It's just going to melt his enemies. He's going to destroy them in a flame of fire. And Zechariah talks about that. But these other things that, that happens is, is when Christ comes and, and after he defeats the enemies at, at the Battle of Armageddon, near there will be the Mount of Olives and Christ will physically land. And Zechariah talks about this. And, it's, and then the Mount of Olives will split and the topography of Israel will change, which will be very important because that's, that's going to be the center of the world. Uh, and we read that, the world, the nations are going to have to come uh, during feast days, three times a year. They're going to have to send representatives to, to Israel, to, to the temple, to Jerusalem, to worship and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And let me see if you paid attention. And if they don't come, if the nations do not send a representative during the feasts that are required, now this is in the millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign, if they don't send a representative in submission to God's word, what will happen to their land? It won't rain. And think about God's sovereignty. You know, there's a lot of other things he could do, but they will not have the vegetation. They will not have the produce. And then it makes you realize that we're going to be going back, not all, but an agricultural world will be part of the millennial kingdom. It's just incredible to learn these things. But if you read this hymn, you realize that hymn 270, a lot of that will not. Obviously, it's going to happen when Jesus returns. Revelation chapter 19, your Bible's open. Revelation chapter 19. Now, before we do that, if you like taking notes, this has nothing to do with Revelation 19. So I want you to take a pen, okay? And I'm going to give you the name of a, I would say it's a drug. And I want you to do your own. And I'm going to spend a lot of time doing this, but as your pastor... Um, I want to tell you the truth when I think the truth is not being told out there in the media, and, uh, and it's not. And um, I listen to a lot of theologians, you know, that discuss a lot of the cultural issues that we're facing right now. And uh, there is, uh, and again, I'm not attacking anybody who's had the vaccine. That's not my purpose. I just want you to know something that I discovered this week that was, very interesting. When we receive the vaccine or you receive the vaccine or they're going to ask you to take the vaccine, whatever, they're going to knock on our doors if you haven't taken it, maybe. If you have a pencil, write down this chemical. It's called graphene, G-R-A-P-H-E-N-E, G -R -A -P -H -E -N -E, graphene oxide, oxide, O-X-I-D-E, graphene oxide. Now, again, I'm admitting this has nothing to do with the scriptures this morning, but I I listened to enough, and I did do due diligence. I listened to these scholars, and then they had scientists talk, and then I went and looked up all the definitions of these words. I'm not going to give you all the definitions of a bunch of other words. But you will find that graphene oxide 
is in the is in the uh, vaccine. I don't know if it's in all three of them or just one of them. I, I didn't find that out. But it's not it's not declared. If you look at the ingredients of a vaccine, it does not have to be there because it's not treated as medicine. It's called a pusher, or it's what it's what this vaccine uses. This this graphene oxide is what pushes it in through the body. It's good for doing that. It it will it will send it through the body and help it connect to the membranes to wherever it's supposed to go. It's a pusher. But the other thing that the graphene oxide does is it also allows your body, you can read it for yourself. Somehow or another it's used, by the way, it's, it's, a, it's a poison. If you, these scientists said, well, what would you say about graphene oxide? If you were to say, I'm going to give you gra graphene oxide, what would you say? You'd say, well, I'm poisoning you. So it's not the best of items by itself. But the other thing that it talks about in graphene oxide is that it's a, it, makes you, it connects you. And I'm not going to get into all this, but one of the scientists said it, it's one of the items that, that if, the, if, if you wanted to be nefarious, graphene oxide is, is, a, is a, a, a chemical that if it's in your body in enough, in enough strength, it could actually make your body be able to connect your physical connect your body, your physical being, to connect to the internet, to 5G, that somehow or another the internet could affect your body. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I read it. I mean, I went and read these scientific journals. So I found this out, and it's something you may not read all the time, and if you're, if you're curious about stuff like that, I just thought it'd be a, a, an interesting read. Graphene oxide. Your Bible's open to Revelation chapter 19. We studied Isaac Watts. And again, I don't all the time read about musicians, but I did this week, and then I got called up after I read about Isaac Watts. I was mentioned to Walter down here. Of course, Walter knows this because he knows all these hymns. I said, did you know that, that Isaac Watts obviously wrote the words to joy to the world? I said, but Handel, Frederick Handel, as in Handel's Messiah, wrote the music. And uh, so let me talk to you a little bit about Handel and Handel's Messiah before we read there's three separate passages in the book of Revelation that talk about worship. There's Revelation 19, Revelation 11, and Revelation 5. And Handel pulled from all three, but I want you to listen to, I'm going to take me just three or four minutes to explain the story, and then we're going to look at those three passages specifically. It was in 1940, um, it's 1941, 1741, when... Uh, Frederick, George Frederick, George Handel <clears throat> said that he had, you know, his best was in the past. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is it's not that he was a has-been, he was living in England, but generally speaking, his better years were behind him, according to these articles. And in addition to his better years being behind him, and many of us can identify with that, his health was bad. He had extremely poor back issues. And uh, that he was in extreme pain, uh, could not get pain relief, and so he was bedridden a lot, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Besides that, Handel was also very uh, financially broke. Matter of fact, he was in massive debt. He was living alone. And he had been isolated, really had been rejected by a lot of his contemporaries because he was no longer... Uh, the cock on the walk or the talk of the town. He was no longer the popular composer that he had once been. 
To make a long story short, you can read this for yourself. It's a great story. A friend uh, was burdened, was a Christian friend was burdened about him. And, and, of course, you're talking about 1741, so there wasn't a printing press. You know, it wasn't a copy machine down at the corner. So this friend of his took 52 Bible verses. And I guess this, and it's 52 Bible verses, of which they all appear, by the way, in the, in the song. And he, he was led by the Lord to write, handwrite these 52 verses down. And he took them by Handel's apartment. And he told him, he said, I know you're struggling. I know people know that you've been depressed and, and you're back and your finances. And, and I have these Bible verses that I want to share with you that there's hope. Well, the story goes, and again, uh, it's just interesting. And again, this is, this is who wrote Handel's Messiah, right? Have you ever heard all or part of that? You've been, in a, you've been in a service for over two and a half hours if you've heard the whole thing. I mean, it lasts at least two hours and 20 minutes. Some places it lasts three hours. But anyway, so this guy left him these 52 Bible verses. And so according to neighbors and friends, Handel went into a bedroom in his apartment and isolated himself, but he took those 52 Bible verses. And over the course of some articles say it's 21 days, some articles say it's 23, and some say 24. But at least for three weeks plus, Handel was locked up in his bedroom. And they said that either he was crying or he was praying. But he was going through those 52 verses. And one friend says that if you knocked on the door and he did answer it to take some food, it's like he was staring in to heaven. So, so for three weeks, Handel wrote, and so when it was all over, history says that Handel came out and in his hand was 260 pages of Handel's Messiah, what now we know as Handel's Messiah. And then also I read that this is the most... Uh, uh, performed uh, uh, what would you call it a musical in the western world so so that's part, and so but here's what I want you to know none none of Handel's circumstances changed I want you to think about this when we think about worshiping the Lord and bowing down before him and celebrating your salvation when he produced those 260 plus sheets of written notes about Handel's Messiah. He didn't come out of that bedroom healed physically. He still, that day and after that day, still had chronic back issues. He didn't get rich that day. Of course, he's going to do better because of Handel's Messiah. But that moment, you know, the guy didn't go pay off his debt. So the only thing that changed was his view of heaven and his view of worship. And that's, why, that's how he wrote Handel's Messiah. Folks, it's very important that you and I, though we worship him here, this is just a foretaste of what worship is going to be there. But what we're going to do there, we need to start be doing here. So I want us to see what worship and celebration is about when we get to heaven. So Revelation chapter 19, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on all these verses, but I do want you to see these are the three sections of verses that Handel used. I will be honest that we're going to finish in, in Revelation 5. That's the one he used the most. 
But I'm, we're in Revelation 19, and we'll go to Revelation 11, and, and then read, we'll finish in Revelation chapter 5. And these are all scenes of worship and celebration of the saints in heaven. After this, I heard what seemed to be <clears throat> the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Some translations may say, Hallelujah. Some do it in Greek, some use Hebrew. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute, that's the false worship, the, the false prophet and all who follow him and false worship and follow the Antichrist. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. It's interesting that one of the one of the attributes of false religion now, but especially in the tribulation, is, is immorality. And our Sunday school class was talking this morning. It's one of the goals of, of a, a culture that has been rejected and experiencing the judgment of God, Romans 1, is they become a perverted culture. We're living in the midst of a perverted culture. Am I right? Our world has lost its mind morally. The very things that you and I know are wrong, they call right. Matter of fact, right now, the very things we know the Bible says about how you're supposed to live, if you take a stand for it, they say it's hate speech. But you can violate biblical, biblical principles. You can violate clear biblical principles, and our laws in America will protect, protect the act. So you can see... but so. So at the end of the tribulation, of course, Revelation 19, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the tribulation. So they're thinking, so they're reminding about the immorality of this wickedness during the tribulation. Says, for his judgments are true, and is just a great prostitute who corrupted the earth in her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the servants, of his servants. Once more, they cried out, this great multitude, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, extremely important, the 24 elders, um, we know they represent the church because the elders were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We find that in Revelation 5. They represent the church, and which is interesting because we're going to reign and we're going to be a kingdom of priests and we're the people that are saved and we're serving Christ in this world. We're still going to have a, a role of a... There's going to be authorities over us. There's going to be elders, 24 separate elders. It seemed to be that's going to, that's going to help orchestrate uh, saved people working in the kingdom. But we move on. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God for all you His servants. You who fear him, small and great. And let me read about the marriage supper. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. So this marriage covenant is a picture of our salvation. And there's going to be a, a marriage supper where all those that have been redeemed by the cross of Christ, ransomed by his substitutionary death, he, there's going to be this marriage supper and uh, we're going to be seated around him, all the people that have been saved in the church age. And it says, you know, uh, the marriage of the supper has come and his bride, this is what we're doing right now, has made herself ready. Folks, the, the moment of the rapture, your days of preparation are over. You, you listening to me? We're making ourselves ready now. But the minute the trumpet sounds, the last trumpet, the voice of the, and the dead in Christ rise first, and those are, the preparation's over. But you're preparing yourself now. Now look at the text. If you've got your Bibles open, look at the rest of that verse. The bride has made herself ready, verse 8. It was granted her. This is a gift. By the way, before I even read it, there is no way I would be worthy of a gown of white before my Lord. There is no way I would be worthy of that. And the only reason why you and I are going to be robed in a white robe is because it was given to us by the grace of Christ. Amen? See what I'm saying? It says, and it was granted her uh, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Granted. We didn't earn it. It was given to us. And then it says, if you're looking at verse 8, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So it's granted to us, and then it seems like our adornments and, the, and what we wear also indicates the righteous lives that we lived. So we're not, we're not condemned for the unrighteous acts. We're able to wear a white robe because of Christ's imputed righteousness. And then the very things we did in obedience, he still rewards us for. So this is, we worship at what they call the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now go to Revelation 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse, let's just pick up at verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you ever listen to Handel's Messiah, you with me? This is part, you, you can, you, if you remember, if I've heard of it, the, the, you can see portions of Handel's Messiah in here. He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, 
who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now he quotes part of Psalm 2. If you read Psalms 2, you discover, The nations raged, but your wrath came. You know, we've read enough of that, but we haven't read all of it yet. But, but where, you know, because we're back in Revelation 14, and where during the tribulation, the, 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 the unsaved people who've taken the mark of the beast, they, they curse God for the judgments, and they know where it's coming from, and they're so defiant. And at the end of all these judgments, it'll say, and they would not repent or give Him glory. So the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. A great breakdown of all the believers of all the ages there. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of the covenant. By the way you know that everything that was built on earth. That the, the, the real model. All this is a shadow. There's a real ark. A real temple. All that's in heaven. And what was put on this earth was a sample of what's up there. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. Revelation chapter 5. And just for the sake of context, let's just pick up in verse 6. We have time to do this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Revelation 5, 6. Uh, by the way, I did bring a large print Bible to the pulpit today so I can at least see it. It says, And between the throne, and between the throne and the four living creatures, which are interesting cherubim, just those four living creatures. Seem to be cherubim angels, kind of, but real cherubim, really not angels, but that's what we call them. But anyway, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been, as though it had been slain. And, and we've dealt with this several weeks ago. That we dealt with this passage. And we read that again. I saw, and this is John seeing this. This is God revealing it to him. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Remember the word slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes. Seven's the word for number of completeness. Which are the seven spirits of God. Isaiah uh, 11 speaks of these. Uh, seven dispensations of the work of the spirit. That's all. Not seven holy spirits. Seven dispensations for how the spirit works. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. <clears throat> it says, and, and seven horns and with seven eyes. And, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who's seated on the throne. <clears throat> and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, remember, what we're all the way back in Revelation, you know, they wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll. This is before, this is right at the beginning of the tribulation. When, you know, because we don't know yet. And Christ is fixing to open up the, the seal so we'll know the rest of the tribulation. <clears throat> says in, I'm sorry. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp <clears throat> and gold. Somebody get me some water, Bonnie, thank you. A harp and golden bowls full of incense. By the way, thank you for, I, I had no idea about my birthday being put in this bulletin. And I don't know how you found out about it anyway. But Diane, I proofed this bulletin, and it wasn't in there when I proofed the bulletin. <laughs> And I don't know how you, but thank you. I thank you. I got a bunch of stuff in my office, and some of you have already given me. Thank you so much, and I, I don't deserve it, and but thank you. And I am right over 39. It's really, I've done well. <laughs> no, 61 years old. That's older than dirt, isn't it? That's just, no, no I'm just kidding. I know, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, God's good, isn't he? But you know, when you think about, I think about 1 Corinthians 15, which says, just as, we're made, just as we are made in the image of Adam, which means we bodies decay, fall apart, and eventually if Christ doesn't rapture the church, we're going to die. And really not die, we're going to be transferred. And so you know, the Lord gives us part of that. But then it also says, we also, but those of us that are saved, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. We bear the image of the man of dust, right, Adam? But we're going to bear the image of the heavenly Adam. Isn't that awesome? That's what we're looking forward to, and that's some of what's happening here in Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> We've got 35 minutes, so let me see if I can finish. It says, and <clears throat> it taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, plural, full of incense. Look what it says. We dealt with this several weeks ago. Which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I'm going to tell you what that indicates. Now, I'm not saying this is true. It's what it indicates. It doesn't say it. There's enough you know, debate. But it's as if there's a bowl for you. And all your prayers are captured in a receptive bowl, so to speak. And just in the Old Testament, you know, they would burn incense and it would be a, a fragrant aroma that would ascend to the, to the basically to, to the presence of God. And he would smell, putting man's terms on it, he would be pleased by the smell of the sacrifice, this incense. And so our prayers are like that. And you have to ask yourself, if in fact there's bowls or there's some kind of instrument that has maintained, which God does, he knows every time you've done everything, but if he, he's captured those prayers and they're, they're held for this moment of worship, how, how much is in your bowl? How, how much of you are going to, how much of what you've done in prayer is, is going to be part of this celebration? It says, and bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. <clears throat> and they sang a new song. 
Only saved people can sing this song. They sang a new song. Here's the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals. Now, understand the significance of this because when Christ looses the seal, the first seal, everything else is hammered in stone because in those seals, in, in, in the sixth seal and the seventh seal are the, are the seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls. So as soon as Christ touches this first seal, the rest of this is marked in stone. It's, it's going to happen. It shows his authority. I'm going to get back to that in just a second. And why we worship him, okay? So <clears throat> it says, Worthy you to take the scroll and to open its seals, and that you were slain, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. That's what it says. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And they, us, will reign on the earth. Let me read the last couple of Then I looked and, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice. Now they're saying, they're not singing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And then the elders fell down and they worshiped. That's us. And the majority of Handel's Messiah, uh, you know, in the article I read, it said that if you paid attention and read the 52 verses that this gentleman left him, that it would take just, it would take you 30 minutes just to read those 52 verses if you read, read them thoughtfully, okay? It wasn't like he's a speed reader, but you took your time and thoughtfully read that it would take 30 minutes. And then you think about the meat inside Handel's Messiah, they appear in there. And, and it's part of this great worship experience. Now, folks, rather than try to um, say something that I'm not sure about, let me just give you seven characteristics that I just read about in, about worship in heaven in, in Revelation chapter 5. And these are simple. You could do these yourself. I put them in my, my words. But this is the worship of heaven. This is what... It, this is what I wrote down. This is what Handel wrote about. Um, 
I know Hebrews 12 talks about uh, the worship of the firstborn and the firstfruits and all of us worshiping. But here in, in Revelation 5, it tells us who we're worshiping. And we're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, chapter 5, verse 9, tells us that Jesus is the owner of the universe, right? He owns it all. Because remember, now, a scroll was, because it was written on the inside and out, I mean, it just went on the inside. It was, there was writing on the inside and the outside. And if you study Roman law and all that, almost there's 100%, there's more than likely it is a title deed. It's a deed to property. Jesus alone has authority to touch the title deed of the universe. We worship him because Jesus Christ is the owner of the universe. You know, there's several places in the, in the New Testament that tell us, John's gospel does this, that Jesus was the creator. He's the one that made all things. And because we know it says the word that made all things became flesh. So when we worship this event in heaven, when we're worshiping, he, we're worshiping the Son of God who is the owner of the universe, number two. Besides being the owner of the universe, the Bible says he's the judge of every soul that has ever lived. Jesus Christ is going to judge every soul that ever lived. Nobody's going to escape. Nobody's going to slide by. Nobody's going to get an exemption. Nobody's going to use anybody else to, to pay their way out of purgatory where they don't have to pay for their misdeeds. Every person that's ever walked the faith, every, every person who's had a soul made in the image of God is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. He is the judge of all. And, and, and you know that because he's the one uh, that opens the seals. And these seals are the seals of judgment. Wonder if Christ didn't open the seals, there wouldn't be any judgment. But this is the future. You know, this is after the church age. And so Jesus opens that seal. And so Jesus is the ruler of all the judgments that are going to happen on the face of the earth. So number one, we worship him because he owns it all. Number two, because he's the judge of all. Number three, and I believe this is my favorite one. The third reason why we worship. If you're looking at your Bibles, it says, Worthy are you, I'm in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Right? And then it says, For you... You reading it? Here's the third reason, right? One, he owns it all. Number two, he's the judge of all. Number three, he's the lamb that was slain. It says, and you were slain. Stop right there. The Greek word for slain was literally throat cut. You with me? It's exactly what you think. 
we were watching a special on TV the other day about uh, sheep herders. I forgot exactly where, somewhere in Europe. And these huge herds, and, and some of them would be taken to sale at the auction, and others would be sacrificed, butchered for the meat. And uh, they would, lamb slain, they would line up. And I mean, they were passive. Now, they weren't all were 100% passive, but they would line up and one behind the other, right in front of them. The, per, the lamb right in front of them would have their, necks, their neck cut and they'd be blood. They'd just line up right. So Jesus says he was slain, the lamb slain. So Jesus Christ is the one that died for sin. This is why we worship him. Number one, he's the owner of the universe. Number two, he's the judge of all. Number three, he is the lamb slain. It says you were slain. You were slain. Which also the terms there, the way the grammar is, reminds us that he's not dead. You were slain, but you're alive. You were slain. So we worship him because he was the slain. He was the slain one, almost, you could say. Number four, we worship him because he's the redeemer. You're looking at your Bibles. And again, this is connected to the lamb being slain. It says, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, redeemed people for God. Okay, You ransomed people because they were so sweet, and they were worthy. No. You ransom, you redeemed people, it says, for God. It says, it says you, you have, uh, you ransomed people for God. And this, from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is exactly what Jesus meant when Jesus said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only one and only son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died not just for the Jews. Not just for every Roman citizen. Jesus died for everybody everywhere. He died for the world. Any nation, any people. So the, the fourth reason is he is the redeemer. And the phrase there it says, and by your blood. You've bought back. I've used this before. I know I'm out of time. I've used this before. Uh, my grandmother, when I would stay with her in Fairhope, she had a weird way of expressing herself to go to the store. I was telling them a story about a local little store I went to. in the. But this is when we'd go to Dale Champs. I'd spend all summer with one of my two grandparents, and both of them lived in Fairhope. I didn't know how good I had it. And... Uh, so my grandma, this is my dad's mom, my mom all is what we called her. She would say, I'm going to Dale Champs. I don't even know if Dale Champs is still open down there. If there's a, it's a Dale, or there was a Greer's. Greer's was the first one. It was a family owned about five or six. Anyway, you don't care about that. She would say, uh, she used to call me Brycey. Brycey. Brycey, uh, come on, we're going to go redeem some groceries redeems that was the right word because she was going to go she was going to go pay a price and guess once she paid the price guess what she could do she could take possession of the groceries she redeemed them 
She ransomed them from the shelves of the Grizz grocery store. Now, I didn't understand that when I was 10 or 8, 9, 7, whatever it was when we were going through that. But she's right. Folks, you've been redeemed. But Peter says, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish. So why are we going to worship him? We'll stop here. Why are we going to worship him? Well, we're going to worship him because he's the judge of all. We're going to worship him because he's the owner of all things. We're going to worship him because he's the lamb slain, substitutionary, sacrificed, emptied himself. We're going to worship him because he's the redeemer. And the fifth one, we won't go in, but he's the savior of the world. We just read that. From every tribe, every nation. Now, finish with this. <clears throat> if you sing Handel's Messiah, I've watched, I've never been to one live, so I'm not going to act like I have. But you can watch Handel's and, and if you've ever been a part of that, I was in Nashville when they were doing part of that. And most times when people, because this is what it causes you to do, you'll be in the midst of that here in Handel's Messiah, and people will end up standing, right? I don't know if you've ever seen performances. Walter, have you ever been to one? Okay, thank you. Okay, several. So people end up, because it's so moving, they stand, right? You know what we do in the book of Revelation? We don't stand. We fall down on our faces. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Folks, if you don't like worship here, you may not even be going there. I'll say that. But if you don't love worship here, you're not going to like worship there. Because it's going to be all about worthy is the lamb that was slain. Do you know that lamb? One of the passages says, a lamb standing. That means he's alive. And he died. Took your place so you don't have to die and go to hell. Do you know him? Think about that. We're not just going to stand. It's almost like if we really wanted to be a obedient we'd all jump up out of our chairs and run if we understood how important and we that's why we always have an altar at church you'd fall on your faces realizing what christ has done for us in salvation amen, amen. he do you know i'll finish i'm chasing around i'm sorry anyway you're gonna the presbyterians are gonna beat you to, to lunch today i'm sorry they're they're there is no king when there is no slave. The New Testament calls us him master and king, and it calls us slaves. If we're not slaves, then he's not the king. There has, in order for him to be king and master, there has to be a slave. So if you're not his slave, he's not your king. And, and he's supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. Thank you so much for your patience this morning. God's good. Man, it's good stuff, isn't it? We'll be back in the book of Revelation 14 next week. Back, we'll be in Acts 21 or so on Wednesday night. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your sacred word. Oh, Lord, thank you for these words that challenge us about what Christ has accomplished and, 
in what it's going to be like when we see him face to face. Father, thank you that every one of us in here that know Jesus, that we're overcomers, and we've overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. Now, as we leave this place, may we be the salt and light in a world that's decaying. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all. Before you go.